right? Right on. Okay, let's pray. Lord, bless your word today. We come before you and we want to hear from you, Lord. God, I pray for your spirit, Lord, to just quicken our mind and our hearts to what you want to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this time with your spirit. And God, you help us put our focus and attention on you, Lord. Help our minds not to wander off into other things, but to really be attentive and listening, God. Give us those listening ears, Lord. Lord, let us hear what the Spirit is saying today. So we ask for your touch and your blessings this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story I like uh, of this young man who decided to quit school and stop going altogether. It was just too hard. The professors were impossible. The dorm rooms were bad, and it was hard for him to make friends. Well, his father tried to get him to keep going. He tried to tell him that it takes time and, and that all that you're going through can even help you grow in your character. Besides that, said the father, you got to be the type of person who doesn't quit. I mean, think about it this way, the father said. All the people who are remembered in history didn't quit. Abraham Lincoln, he didn't quit. Thomas Edison, he didn't quit. Douglas MacArthur, he didn't quit. Elmo McCringle, wait, 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 interrupted the son. Who's Elmo McCringle? See, said the father, you don't remember him. He quit. <laughs> well, as we return to our study in the book of Hebrews, we see how relentless loving deeds of real believers is, is the evidence of their faith, which is actually in contrast to those who don't really believe. They quit following Jesus. And not only does God take note of those who keep going, but it's just as important to him that believers are relentless in growing in spiritual maturity. So, the writer here encourages us, urges us believers to keep going, keep growing. And that's the title of our message this morning. Keep going, keep growing. We're going to study Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 9 through 12 this morning, just going on in this chapter as we uh, began on, and, uh, last week. And our outline today is this. I've broken up our section into, into three parts, and this is number one, you're not like them. Number two, you're not forgotten. And number three, you're not to give in. So that's our outline for this morning. Keep going, keep growing. Let's begin here. Number one in our outline, you're not like them. You're not like them. Take a look with me here now, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. It reads here, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. And we'll stop right there. Now we begin here with these two words, but beloved, which, which actually puts this next section that we're looking at today in contrast, when he says, but beloved, in contrast to the previous section, in particular, verses 4 uh, through 6, which addressed, if you remember, if you were with us last week, those who are not really saved. We saw last time how they tasted, right, but they did not drink that whole cup of salvation. How they stopped short of salvation and did not fully embrace 
Jesus. So he goes on here to contrast, saying, but, beloved, the writer goes on here to speak to and encourage the believers now, not those who aren't saved, who looked like they were, but they stopped short of salvation, but to encourage those who are really in Christ, that these guys, is, who they are is not what he was talk, talking about. He, what he just talked about is not their standing and, and state before the Lord. So he sets the tone here, right as he begins here. Now he says, by writing, he says, beloved, but beloved. When he says beloved, that means actually loved by God, that word. The next section you can see here is really speaking to believers. And with true believers, ones who have really fully embraced and trusted in Jesus Christ, he says, we are confident for better things as he goes on here. In other words, he's confident that these Jewish believers are not any way like what he talked about, those guys, what he talked about above. And they show they are in Jesus because their lives are filled with things that accompany salvation he says here talking about the fruit the works that show a changed life that a believer is really in jesus christ and then he ends this verse he says though he speaks in this manner in other words though he's talking like this to the unbelievers above it's not directed to the believers that are he's writing to primarily who have been fully surrendered and committed to jesus christ so here's the idea in this verse. What we said earlier, the, the writer's saying, what I said earlier is not for you, for we see better things in you. Things that show you're really saved. What we see is you're not like them. That's our heading. Now, what are these things that accompany salvation? Well, there's much in the Bible we can talk about. We can list things we have studied and found in the New Testament, and we could probably go on for days talking about this. But I know you're saying, no, please, Pastor Rick, don't go on for days. No, we'll stick to the message here. But what is in context of this passage, the better things are, are, are those things that characterize true believers and are what opposite of what what we saw really in verses four and five so i just want to touch on that for a moment remember how back in verse four and five like in verse four how these guys who aren't really believers they're once enlightened we talked about that last week right how the word affected their mind but it really never went into their heart and then made a difference in their life you know, I was thinking about how the longest distance in the world is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. It's hard to get things down there sometimes. But believers, they have gone beyond the head knowledge and they have now the heart change. Another thing we saw in verse 4 is the writer told us how these people who really aren't saved, how they tasted the heavenly gift right they only sampled what salvation can could do maybe their emotions remove or and they never really gave their heart totally to jesus over to jesus and and it, it went with how they were in verse 4 only partakers of the holy spirit they only felt this but the holy spirit never went inside of them holy spirit never possessed them they were never filled with the spirit they only tasted of what the holy spirit can do many people like this uh, they fall into like the ritual yeah to make uh, make jesus into a ritual even into a religion and not have that relationship with god 
They haven't fully embraced Jesus in that way. But true believers can really say from their heart, you know what, I just love Jesus. And that's that relationship going on. And then we saw like in verse 5 last time that, that these, are, these almost Christians, sometimes I call them, they tasted the word. It means they sampled like a tiny piece of the word. They didn't eat the whole pie. They would only take little bits and pieces, but not the whole truth of God. And they have tasted the power of God. In other words, they've seen God do miracles. They've seen God answer some prayers. They, they experienced it. But even after what they experienced, they did not fully surrender their life to him. But true believers have fully committed to Jesus in response to God's word and his powerful work. So this is what the writer is saying. You beloved ones of God, you're not like them. You're not like these guys. So what the writer is saying this, in this verse, it is plain to see that you really are saved and have truly given your life over to Jesus. That's what the writer observes. That's what the writer can see with these guys. And this is our point in this verse. It is plain to see that you really are saved and have given your life over to Jesus. A long time ago, I, I read the story about a young man. He applied to be a missionary and he prepared for the interview for this missionary organization, missionary society, and, and he prepared by studying for maybe some questions he thought that they might ask him, brushing up on his theology, his Bible knowledge, and scriptures and like that. Well, they called to tell him to show up for the interview at 5 a.m. in the morning. Strange time, he thought, but he pulled himself out of bed on a snowy morning even and showed up. 5 a.m. came. He was sitting there. It came and went. He was left waiting until 8 a.m. It was three hours later when the interviewer actually arrived. Well, when the interviewer arrived, he asked him to take a seat. And then he asked him this question. Can you spell? Can you spell? Mystified, the candidate was like, uh, yes. And the interviewer asked, asked him, spell Baker. So the candidate spelled B-A-K-E. E-R. The interviewer then said, can you tell me what two plus two is? And the candidate's like, four? Then the interviewer abruptly said, okay, that's it. Dismissed him from the interview and then let him go. But to his surprise, on the next day, the young man got a call and he was accepted as being a missionary for that organization. Well, what happened? What was all this? Well, we find out Later, at the board meeting of the missionary organization, this interview gave this report. He said the young man showed up for the 5 a.m. interview on a snowy morning without complaint. You know what? He can deny himself. He was on time. You know what? He's prompt and keeps his word. And then the interviewer said, and I also tested his patience by making him wait three hours for the interview, and he waited. And I tested his humility and his temper, asking questions any child could answer, and he did so. And the interviewer said he passed all the tests, so we have the makings of a great missionary here. I like that. 
I love that story. I think, you know, every day we have tests, don't we? Every day, life is a test in itself. Well, what the writer observed with the Jewish believers that through life, the way they carry themselves, how they live, they were the real thing. So he's writing them here. Hey, it's plain to see you guys are really saved. You've truly given your life over to Jesus Christ. You know, the question for us here today, is it plain to see? That we are really Christians? That we have really given our life to Jesus Christ? Or when people look at you, is it a little fuzzy there? A little out of focus? Or is it sharp and clear? That no, that, there's something with that guy. There's something with that girl. They are with Jesus, I can tell. Is there a question if you're saved or not? I mean, life on this earth is, is messed up. And it brings many tests to our faith. But how we handle them, how we go through them, how we carry ourselves, do the results show that we are those who belong to Jesus. Say we lived in a country where it is illegal to believe in Jesus. If you were arrested for being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? That's the way to put it. You know, it might be time to reassess yourselves and where you stay in your relationship with God, in your commitment to Christ. Maybe you've been there, but maybe you've kind of waned. Maybe you've wandered a little bit. Well, it's time to make a change today and come to the place where someone can look at you and and say, wow, there's something about them. You're different. You're not worldly. You're, you're, You're not like those who maybe like, the writer was saying last week, who pretend to know Jesus, you're like one of those. You're not like one of those. You're not like them. Well, let's move on here now to number two. You're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. Keep going, keep growing. You're not like them is really what the writer's saying here and getting into. And number two now, you're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We'll stop there. Now, those things that clearly show you're saved, this is what the writer, God, writer is saying, God is not unjust to forget. In other words, God is not one to forget or ignore it. And, and now the writer gets into some specific things that God is not unjust to forget, forget. And what are those things? Well, first he says, your work, like your deeds, really your service to the Lord. And secondly, and your labor of love. It's how you did everything out of agape love. The word love here is agape, out of a unconditional love. That's how you do your work. That's how you, you serve the Lord. So the idea here is this. God will not forget your service and the love you put into it. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, the first part of the verse, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. See, when Paul wrote this, he saw in the Thessalonians, like the writer sees in Hebrews, that they were true believers. He saw in them their service. He saw in them the love they had for each other. And this is what the, the writer saying. God's not going to forget that with you guys. Now take note here. 
God is not saying that you are saved by works. That's not what he's saying. The works and labors of love come out of because you're saved. They're out of that. It's because you're saved you do these things. They're fruit of your salvation. Works of faith and labors of love are the natural outflow of a redeemed life. So keep that in mind here. Then the writer says, which you have shown toward his name. He goes on here in verse 10. Now that means everything they've done has been out, uh, have, have been not only love out for each other, but it's been love shown toward God. In other words, this love for God also shows evidence of their salvation. So God will not forget how your service was all out of love for him. So you see in all this, you're not forgotten. God sees that you're doing this because it's out of love, because you love him. Love for God is supposed to be that, right? It's what motivates us to serve him. It motivates us to do what we do and do whatever he likes because we love him. I think about, do you remember when Jesus first commissioned Peter back in John 21? And uh, he met with Peter after he died and rose again, and he's sitting down with him. And he did not ask Peter if he loved others, and then he sent them out. No, Jesus first asked Peter what? Do you love me? And after that, then he commanded Peter, go feed my sheep, right? Go feed my sheep, go feed my lambs. So service to Christ is first based on this overriding love for God. So think about it. You cannot properly serve God without properly loving God. For the driving force behind ministry is a great love for God. It's all for His name. It's for His glory. And it's because we love Him. I was thinking about it this way. The more love we have for God, the more love we have for others, right? The more love for, we have for God, the more love we have for the lost. The more love we have for God, the more energy we have to serve perhaps the reason we can't love and forgive is because we don't love god we don't love sometimes we don't love people on the horizontal plane you know like this way back and forth is because we aren't loving god like we should on the vertical plane i remember one pastor years ago when i was young said you know you got to get take care of the vertical before you can work on the horizontal. And that's that love for God. John MacArthur wrote, The genuineness and effectiveness of ministry we have to one another is directly related to the love we have for Christ. Some good words here. All right, he goes on here in verse 10, and really it flows right into this last part. He says, In that you have ministered to the saints. Now, saints, remember, is another name for believers, Christians. And, and the writer here at first says that you have ministered. Like the writer states this in the past tense. And then he adds, you do minister, which is in the present tense. So the writer sees how these continue, continue to serve. They served in the past, and now they're continuing to serve. It's this character of these people of how they're habitually saved and it's a person i mean habitually serve and it's a character of one who is saved so the idea is god will not forget your consistent and faithful ministry he won't forget that he won't forget 
why you do and how you do this and how you continue to serve the Lord. It's evident that you're saved. From, uh, I found this, it was from this Christian newsletter someone uh, qu- uh, put in and quoted, but uh, it goes like this. Someone wrote this. If you do it because no one else will, it's a job. If you are doing it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. If you do it just enough to get by, it's a job. If you do it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you quit because someone criticized you, it was a job. If you keep serving, it's a ministry. If you quit because no one praised you, it was a job. If you do it because you think it needs to be done, it's a ministry. If your concern is just success, it's a job. If your concern is faithfulness to God, it's a ministry. People may say, well done, when you do your job. But the Lord will say, well done, when you complete your ministry. I like that. Nice way to contrast all this. When all you do is motivated by your love for God, then it's easy, I tell you, to be consistent. And it's easy to be faithful. And then that's when it's true ministry. And that's what these guys are doing. They're doing out of their love for God. And they they did it and they continue to go on and do ministry and serve the Lord. And then in the end, we see that uh, the writer saying, you're not forgotten. So overall, what we, we sum up this verse this way, and this is the point. Never think that all your faithful and loving service will go unnoticed by God. Never think that all your faithful and loving service will go unnoticed by God. I think it was a pastor once was telling me about how one of his guys came up to him and one day and he was discouraged and, and how he was just sharing how hard it was to serve in, in the particular place he was serving and the person was discouraged with, from constant complaints and resistance of people in the church and he felt like after putting so much effort and heart and time into what he's doing, he thought, all I get back is, is sheep headbutts. All I get back is sheep biting you back, you know. Uh, The sheep misunderstanding all your intentions. And he just kind of went on in that way. And and, and you know what the pastor's response was? Welcome to the ministry. (laughs) Well, serving God is not easy. It isn't. And the funny thing uh, is, is, is at the same time, it's so hard. At the same time, it's the greatest thing you could do. It's, it's so fulfilling. Nothing else is more fulfilling and enjoyable, but it can become the hardest and most discouraging thing in the world. Perhaps you're, perhaps you're sitting there and, and inside you're going, Amen, Amen, Amen. And perhaps you're going through some things now. Perhaps you're wondering, is it worth it? Should I quit? Does God really notice all, everything that I'm doing? I know how you feel. I mean, there's moments that I feel like in the middle of, of attacks or in the middle of some situation, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Lord, maybe it's better just get a regular job or something. Or does anyone really care? Or God, uh, what do you think? You know, is it worth all this effort? But let me reassure you today, God does see what you do. God will remember it all. Never think that all your faithful and loving service will go unnoticed by God. You know what I like to do in the times where it's hard? I hold on to something D.L. Moody once said. 
He said, we may be weary in the work, but we are not weary of the work. It's like, oh yeah, that's right, Lord. I'll stick to what you called me to do, the vision you've given me. And then we hold on, I hold on to the fact that God sees and God knows. And if God sees and knows, and if this verse, verse 10 is true, then isn't that all that really matters, yeah? That God knows. He is not unjust to forget. And that's how, you guys, we can keep going and keep growing through these times. And I'll tell you, one day when we get to heaven, God will acknowledge it. He will. God will let you know that you're not forgotten. There's a story, uh, I love this story of an elderly missionary company, cu- couple, this elderly missionary couple returning to America on a ship after many years of sacrificial service in Africa. Well, on the same boat was actually the President of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt, who just had come back from this big game hunt. Well, as the ship docked in New York Harbor, thousands of people, dozens of reporters lined the pier to welcome Roosevelt home. But not one single person welcomed home the missionaries. While riding in a taxi to their hotel, the missionary husband started to complain to his wife and he was saying, it just doesn't seem right. We gave 40 years of our lives to Jesus to, to bring souls to Jesus, to save souls in Africa, but no one came to greet us. No one came to see us. Yet the president goes over there for a few weeks to kill some animals and then the whole world takes notice. Well, at this, his dear wife puts her hand on a frustrated husband and gently says, but honey, we're not home yet. That's the thing, you guys. That's the thing. We may not feel it or see it here, but I'll tell you what, when we get home, you're not forgotten. Let's go on to number three now. You're not to give in. You're not to give in. Here we want to keep going, keep growing. And number one, you're not like them, the writer says. Secondly, you're not forgotten. And number three, you're not to give in. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, our last section here. The writer goes on and says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. All right, it's a little bit hard to kind of get in and interpret this but let me try and help you understand so the writer continues on here to add that we desire so the writer the the apostles the pastors he's saying we desire and the word desire actually is is like a great desire matter of fact one uh one commentator defined this as driving passion that's that's their heart here their driving passion is what well he goes on is for each of you, each of you believers, to show or have the same diligence. Now, the word diligence talks about zeal or passion there too, or determination is a good word. I think we could translate that. But the same diligence as what? What's he's talking about? Well, the same zeal as they have now in their love for God and in their, their love to serve them, serve Him. So the idea here is the writer saying, like, our desire, our, our great passion and prayer and all that, that you guys have that determination to continue on with that love for God and serve Him in that love you have for God and serve Him in that way. And that is, he goes on to say, all the way to the full assurance of hope. So be diligent in these things, doing that, 
that assures them that they have, you know what, this future, this hope in heaven. That assures them that they are truly believers because they're going to keep going on this. They're going to keep growing on this. They're going to continue to do these things that God will not forget. Loving God and loving to serve Him. And they're going to continue to do that all the way until the end. And that speaks about when they pass, when they die from this world and go on to heaven. So continuing on, that proves even more that you are a real believer. So the idea, like I'll put it all together, is the driving passion for the writers that these believers will continue on and even grow in their love for God and serving Him. That they're going to keep going. They're not going to stop here. And it only is evidence, evidence of, of that they're truly saved. Now, this is really important because you remember, as I say many times, the, the writer here is writing to who? The Jewish believers, right? That's the title, Hebrews, right? And as I mentioned before, the Jewish believers are struggling because of persecution uh, from their fellow Jews and maybe their family. They're pressuring them to go back to the old Jewish customs, to go back to the Jewish rituals and, and, and just add Jesus to all that mix we mentioned last time, right? And so that kind of pressure and that, those kind of words and influence can bring doubt into their minds and, and, and about, well, wait a minute, now I'm confused. Am I really saved? Is this how you get saved? Is this how, how you go to heaven and all that? Well, the writer assures them, you know what? God sees all that you do, how you love Him, how you do it out of love and service to Him, how you serve Him, and that's visible proof of your faith in Jesus. And, and you know what? In the face of doubt, just keep doing what you're doing all the way. Keep doing what you've been doing. But even more so, keep loving God. Keep serving Him. Keep going. Keep growing. All, and all of that. And that will only prove that your life has really been changed in Jesus. So consistency and growth is the key here. That's what the writer is pushing on them or putting forth on, encouraging them in. Sticking with Jesus and moving forward, right, says much. It says much about that person. I mean, think about it this way. When it, when it doesn't last, you kind of wonder, right? You kind of wonder, right? It, it makes sense to me what the writer's saying. You know, if you're really a believer, if you're really a Christian, you're going to continue on. You're going to grow in your love for Jesus. You're going to keep serving. You're going to keep doing what He wants you to do. I mean, it makes sense because if you stop, if you bail on it, then you kind of wonder, well, what happened there? You know, did Jesus really change your life? Remember 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Then we go on in verse 12, and this is the last verse for today. Verse 12 says, That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the writer goes on now. Now he was telling me, you know, keep going, keep growing, right? Well, now he goes on and tells them of, of what not to do. In other words, don't do, don't do this opposite thing. He says, do not become uh, sluggish. Be, stay in diligence, but do not become sluggish. The word sluggish, it means lax. It means lazy. In other words, don't lose that passion and that drive and that determination for God. 
Don't become sluggish. This, uh, the original word here is actually the same word, Greek word we saw back in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 for dull. If you remember, it's dull of hearing, which was we talked about slow to respond to God's word and slow to hear. And it was like a, like a baby who doesn't listen. It was a mark of immaturity. So it's almost like the writer saying, hey, you know, in the, in the same thought, don't become sluggish, don't become lazy, don't become lax, don't, don't be immature in this. But you know what's better? He says, he goes on in verse 12, but imitate, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. The word imitate means mimic. It means actually to follow closely. And who are they to follow? Well, those who through faith and patience patience or endurance who've kept going who didn't stop who kept growing who didn't stop who kept loving god and serving him and eventually at the end of verse 12 they did inherit the promises and what's that they finally reached their eternal home in heaven the promise of salvation So the idea here is this, don't go back to spiritual immaturity, don't get lax, don't go back that way, but keep growing by following the examples of those who have kept the faith. You're not to give in. That's the heading, you're not to give in. You know, I was thinking about this. For me, I, I, I love to read biographies of, of those great saints who have gone on before us, whether they're pastors or preachers or evangelists. I, I really love the stories of missionaries who've gone on before us, or even modern-day missionaries, or, 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 or stories of today that are going on. It in, inspires me because I see them right there on the front lines. I see them uh, keep going, you know, keep growing no matter what the opposition and whatever they're going through. You know, there are saints like one of my, I, I, well, I like to learn and follow, is like people like one of my f- heroes is Hudson Taylor. He was a pioneer missionary to China. He went when no one, no one went. He was like one, the first one, one of the first ones to go into China, not just the, 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 the coast, but into the interior. And that was dangerous. I like, uh, oh, like someone like Jim Elliott, who was martyred by the Alka Indians in Ecuador. Uh, there's a good book, Through the Gates of Splendor, by his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, who actually, uh, after uh, he was the, this group of missionaries, young guys in their 20s, they were martyred, and they influenced many other people to go out on missions. Elizabeth Elliott they, and, and uh, her partner, they went out uh, back to Ecuador to witness to those Indians. And uh, I think it was Nate Saint's wife. And they went back. Just amazing things. Or maybe you guys uh, know the writings of Amy Carmichael. I know she had an a orphanage uh, for kids in, in India. Or Mary Slessor. She went to Africa. I love her story. When ever since she was small, she, she, always, she, she dreamed of going to Africa and sharing Christ with them. And, and God eventually brought her there. And even to this day, after she passed away, her, she's buried there. And that was, she called it her home. Uh, there's people like Jan- William Carey. He uh, was uh, actually really the, the first missionary or so-called modern missionary in this day to go out uh, into uh, foreign lands and go and, and be a missionary. Or John and Betty Stam, I, I like their story too. During the uh, uh, communist revolution in the 60s, they were actually 
uh, killed during that time and their baby lived. And it's just, a, a, just crazy how they stood for their Lord. Or maybe you guys know Brother Andrew. I mean, he was going into Europe behind the Iron Curtain and smuggling Bibles. And there's amazing stories of how God protected him and, and, and how the, when he was going over the border, the guards didn't see like his, his trunk full, full of Bibles that he was bringing in. But I, I, love, I love these stories. I love their, you know, how they love God and it inspires me and their determination and motivates me. You know, and I was thinking about, too, even... Uh, we need to be careful of who our friends are. Yeah? Who do we hang around with? You know, I started to think about who do I surround myself with? I mean, God has blessed me with some good and close friends, pastor friends, guys in ministries, and I love them because they inspire me with their passion for Jesus. Well, in light of this passage, think about what do you surround yourself with? Who is your influences? I mean, of course, other than Jesus and all, but, you know, some human beings. Who are they? Are they past ministry, missionaries, or uh, great saints or all? I mean, who do you surround yourself with? Thomas Lee wrote, The friends we choose can make us, can make us or break us spiritually. The writer of Hebrews wanted his friends to imitate the right examples. And that's what it is. That's what it is. And so that brings us really to our last point for today. And that is be to determined to go all out forward and follow the path of the faithful who've gone before us or gone before you. Be determined to go all out forward and follow the path of the faithful who've gone before us. I found um, something. Um, uh, I might have shared this before, but I was looking at it again uh, this week and I can put it up in, on the screen. I think we have it. And this is the Australian coat of arms. It's their shield for, for Australia. And you can see in their con- for their country, they have two animals around this shield, the coat of arms. And that's a kangaroo and an emu. And emu is like this ostrich uh, from over there. Now, these animals were chosen up because they were unique, you know, to Australia. But you know why they were chosen? Because these animals cannot walk backwards. They can't walk backwards. I was like, yeah, really? So you know how you like do searches? Oh, yeah, it is true, you know, kind of thing. I mean, unless everyone on the Internet is lying to you. But they cannot walk backwards. The kangaroo because has that big tail, the way it's situated. The emu, I was reading, they say because of the, their toes are or anything, something like that. Someone even said, I don't know, maybe they just don't want to. But either way, they don't walk backwards. So why would they put these animals who can't walk backwards on their shield? Well, because the characteristics of these animals in that way is what the country wants to be. Always moving forward, never going backwards. Well, that's exactly what the writer is saying here to the Jewish believers. Don't be sluggish here, you know. Don't go even backwards. Be determined to go all out forwards. And what's the best way? Well, follow the path of the faithful who have gone before us. Let me ask you today, how have you, you been doing in your walk with the Lord? Going forward? moving backwards slow down maybe lax sluggish or are you on fire for god 
And all you want is more of Jesus in your life. And you just want to serve Him more and more. Perhaps it hasn't been good for you lately. But let me tell you this. Jesus is here reaching out to you saying, You know what? I love you. I want you to be close to me. I, I, I want to be, have a relationship, a close relationship with you. And, and no matter what, you know what? I will forgive you if you let me. And I want to help you if you just give me your heart. And I want to bring you forward in your walk, in your life with me. Maybe you're in a place today where you feel weary. And you're not motivated anymore. And you find maybe your love for Jesus is cooled down, you know what? Let's get up. Let's get going. Let's stay diligent to what we've been doing and continue to do it or get back into it. And we are not to give in to those things. That's not God's will for you. That's not His purpose for you. That isn't. Look up Ephesians 2.10. Look that up later. God has purposed in you to live your life for Him. So do not give in to the flesh. Do not give in to the pressures. Do not give in to the attacks coming around you. Go to Jesus today and you know what? He'll gladly refresh you and He'll give you what you need to go on in this race. But the important thing is to keep on, to stay the course, continue on. And I'll tell you, that's where you find growth. Listen to this. We conquer by continuing. Let me say that again. We conquer by continuing. Don't let discouragement talk to you. Say, get out of my ear. Don't let condemnation pull you back. Don't let failure tell you you can't succeed. But do what those have gone before us in their times of hardship and failure. They learned from it, yeah? And they continued on. I'll close with this. Thomas Edison, we know him, yeah, the great inventor. He had tried thousands of different materials in search of the filament for the light bulb he was trying to invent. But none of them worked. Well, when his assistant complained and said, you know, all I work is for nothing. We failed. It can't not be done. Edison sat him down and asked the assistant, now, tell me, how many times have we tried? The man said, well, we tried like 2,000 times. Then Edison said, so, we haven't failed. We've only found 2,000 ways it doesn't work. We only need one way to make it work. I like that. How about this? Has your way failed? Yeah. Has your way failed God? Then you know it's not the right way, right? You know it doesn't work. But what does work is Jesus. What does work is loving Him. What does work is serving Him. So let's stop trying to do the things that don't work. But let's get back, stay on cor- course, and keep going, keep growing. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come before you, thank you, God, that you are encouraging us today. Lord, there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, forgive us for our wanderings and forgive us for, for our lacks, Lord. But God, set us on fire today, Lord. Lord, no matter what is the opposition or the pressures, 
no matter the attacks, Lord. God, no matter what discouragement may be trying to say to us, Lord, none of us here is a failure when you're working in our life. So God, we want to get up and go. We want to grow through these times, Lord. And we want to become all that you want us to become and fulfill the purpose that you have set, that you have predestined, Lord, that you have made for us in this life, God. We thank you that in you we have, Lord, a purpose. We have, Lord, something you want us to do, and we're not just floundering here. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we will find that and hold on to that and go on in, the, in that. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you more, and we want to live for you more today. In Jesus' name, amen.